The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I'm so thrilled to be here with you on this wonderful Wednesday morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, and we do have Dr. Doreen Grampichet live in the studio this morning. So if you are wanting to ask her a question, you have the ability to do that right now and throughout this next hour. In fact, Traven is going to show you, the fabulous Traven, by the way, is going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us, some of the different ways that you can have your question heard on the show and potentially answered. So please uh, take a look at what Traven is offering right now. And I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's a lot of different things to do. Uh, just, you know, find the things that you like on the page and the way that you want it to work. You can search topics, you can watch the live show, you can comment directly from our page in the chat that's at the bottom of the page just click on the chat button it opens a box and you can type and hit enter and it shows up here on the screen there's about a two-minute lag so write in early and often I you know we get so many questions now that we don't have the opportunity to answer all of them but I do try to pay attention to persistence if you write in and your question doesn't get answered ask the question again and I notice it and I go ah, we got to make sure that we answer that question so please do write Right in. We also encourage you when you go to autism-live.com, about five seconds after you're on the page, a box will spring up and it'll say, hey, wouldn't you like to subscribe? And I know, you know, we don't want to be subscribing to everything in the world, right? But I just want you to know that when you subscribe, it means that on Monday morning, you will get a postcard from us in your email that tells you all the guests that are going to be on the show. And occasionally, we will send an extra message telling you when we book somebody that we didn't know on Monday because sometimes that happens and often those are like really fun people so I encourage you to please uh, subscribe and we promise that we won't uh, inundate you with ridiculous email. How's that for a promise? Uh, but thrilled to be here, and I don't want to take up too much time. I just want to give you a programming note that uh, tomorrow evening at 8.30, Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific Time, and please do the math in the other time zones, Autism Live is going to be participating in a tweet-a-thon for the show, Everyone's Going to Be Okay. You know that we had one of the guests on last week with her service dog, and we had such a good time, and you know that I love this show, and I'm so excited about this show being on Freeform. So we're going to be sitting with the cast and several other really cool people, like Kobe Bird from Lock and Key is going to be there 
there with us tweeting. We're going to be doing that live tomorrow night from Freeform Studios. So be watching us on our Twitter feed, be watching the show with us, be, uh, you know, you can be reading the tweets that we're doing with the cast and we'll be posting on Facebook pictures of the behind the scenes of the tweet-a-thon for everyone's going to be okay. That's tomorrow night. But now let's waste no more time. It's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Traven has reminded me that it's everything's going to be okay. I watch the show and I love the show and I feel like it should be everyone, but it's everything. Everything's going to be okay. It's a great show, Freeform. Make sure that you check it out. But right now, we're here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet and so thrilled to be here with you. Thank so you so nice much. To be back. For those of you who don't know Dr. Grampichet, she's a true visionary in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time, and there is no other time uh, in this community. So we're so thrilled that we have an opportunity to be here with her for this next hour. She's here answering your questions and all the different ways that Traven showed you that you could. Uh, a lot of people. Yeah, well, we're so thrilled to have you here. Thank we do so like much. to remind everybody that there is no expert in any field that could give individually specific advice in this format so you will write in and be as specific as you can and please tell us what the closest major city is that you're in so that we can reference resources um, and then Dr. Grampichet will give you a lot of information we love to take a tour of her beautiful mind and then you take that information and go back to the experts who have eyes on the situation and maybe you'll get a little bit further you'll have more ideas that's right exactly no uh, problem I'm looking forward to it and hopefully we can help a little bit with some of these questions. Okay, so I want to start with a question that came in yesterday uh, on our live feature, by the way. Hi, I love your show. I'm from UK and currently hiring some psychology students to be trained by my BCBA and then work with my kid. What do you think the ideal candidate would be and what do you look for in, during interviews? Right, that's a great question. I think actually we used to have, I'm not sure if it's still on there, but we used to have a section on our website that kind of defined the ideal candidate but I think what you're looking for is not so much there uh, I think uh, you know we, we tend to look for too much in a person and so I would say the things that are easier to teach believe it or not are just the therapy and how to do ABA and how to be a good therapist like the clinical portion is easy to do these days because we for example have uh, produced institutes for behavior training ibt where you can put someone on there and they can learn and they will tr get trained and really learn how to be a good therapist right so it's not about that the clinical knowledge it's really and, and you have a bcba who's going to be training them as well but i think it has to do with energy so you want a person who has a lot of energy because i, I don't know your child's age but you really have to have energy because you need to be able to run around and be fun and positive and energetic, rewarding, all of that. So energy is very important. And I think consistency is very important. So you really want someone dependable. Uh, you want to look for a history of someone who's been able to hold down a job, um, have good references, doesn't get sick often, doesn't cancel, because this is going to be someone you really depend on. Yeah. 
So you want them to really be there for your child and for you when you need them. Um, and, you know, if, as long as you have someone who's going to show up, is, is really responsible and has energy and just sort of interest in your child, um, you're good. The rest of the stuff you can teach. I love that. You know, I, I used to say, because uh, I never have hired therapists. I never had to. Mm-hmm. I got lucky right. that I got to come to CARD and, and CARD sent the therapist to our door. And, and I met and worked with a lot of different therapists over the five years that my son was getting therapy. And one of the things that I noticed about the therapist that I really love, the, the sort of running theme, it's you, you called it energy. Um, but I said it's somebody who's passionate about mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And that many times people came in and started doing therapy and they had they weren't passionate about psychology, yeah, they yeah. weren't passionate about autism, they weren't passionate about any of that, but they were passionate about other stuff. Like I can think of one person in particular who was all about music. Mm-hmm. Music was their passion. They were like so about music. And that, but I saw that passion is transferable. Yeah, passion is so interesting. And that when they saw your kid starting to learn, then they got passionate about teaching your child and having your kid learn things. So I, and I just in general like to be around, you know, we all have friends who are Eeyores, right? And and I love an occasional Eeyore too. Sure. But to work with your kid, I like somebody passionate. You need a tigger. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You need a tigger. Oh my goodness, that's it. Enthusiastic and kind of like energized because, like you know, realistically, it's a lot of demands. A good ABA program is like intensive tutoring for all day long. So you need someone who's going to be very like uh, exciting and able to reward well and entertaining for your child. Absolutely, a tigger. That's, That's wonderful. I love that. Uh, so hire hire a Tigger, yeah. and then then you'll be in good shape. Get them really well trained. That's right. Get them really good trained, and your BCBA will be there to help you. But you can also um, subscribe to uh, videos on IBT, help them to become a registered behavior technician, or at least get that coursework done. Yeah, it's really very inexpensive. That. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's just. And also, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 100 years, but I can go back and always listen to IBT, and there's always some really good gem. Yeah. And and the IBT videos are fantastic. Like, they get you thinking on topics separately in a way that you don't usually get in college. Yeah. So, like, you know, as a BCBA, you learn a lot of technical stuff. But the IBT videos, they give you all the technical stuff if you go into the, like, let's say, RBT or BCAT portion. But they also give it to you in a very lay terminology if you yeah. go into the parent or teacher portion. So it's kind of, it's, I think it's a, it's a good mix. You become yeah. much better rounded, well-rounded if, you, if you've listened to And, that. of course, we keep referring to it as IBT. It's the Institute for Behavioral Training, and you go to ibehavioraltraining.com. Right. And having said that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back with more Ask Dr. Doreen here on Autism Live after these messages. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampiche, and she's answering your questions in real time. Another question that we had come in. Hi, thank you so much for the show. I find it so helpful and love the can-do attitude. That's we love great. that. I work with a child who has escape behaviors. When given an instruction, he runs around the classroom. He's quick and strong, and the behavior technician is unable to stop him. He ends up getting away with task, tasks, even if it's only for a few minutes. Now I have the... 
behavior technician stand right near him with her hand on his arm when giving an instruction, but he is still quicker than her and still runs away. We also do lots of choices and allowing escape if he asks appropriately. We do high P request sequence, but he stopped complying with easier tasks. Although his behavior did decrease, it is no longer decreasing. Any ideas? Change your behavior tech. Ah! I'm sorry, but like, this is a really basic, basic uh, uh, escape or avoidance situation. You cannot let him escape, period. If, as long as he escapes, it's going to be, that's what he's shooting for. So, you know, the way that we used to do it in the past, and I don't know if you can in the classroom, this is, these are the difficulties of teaching in a classroom, yep. honestly, Shana, yep. is that we would literally have the table in a corner with the child behind it so that they cannot escape. Mm -hmm. And that's some of the stuff, like, you can use the environment in a way to set it up so that the child cannot run off. Yeah. But you have to work with the teacher and make that happen. But you, the, the bottom line here is it's not about making it a more easier task or one that is a high probability of happening that's not what this is about this is about he's going to escape yeah and, and you need to like make sure he doesn't escape you know you you know this it's very clear that the person who wrote this has a good understanding of yeah. functions of behavior and so you have to block the escape yeah and for those of you who don't understand all that i mean you know if, if yeah, the kids are just, getting away with it yeah they're going to keep doing it that's right that's right and it's all about getting a child to understand that every time you place a demand they cannot just get up and leave and ignore you yeah. and i think that in this case i mean if you were able to master this first like get him to not try to escape then i would say you need to teach him to ask for a break or a timeout or i want to do something else or whatever it is but at this point this is just a compliance issue and you've got to get it under control okay there you go. You've heard it from, from the expert herself. <laughs> Speaking of experts, uh, the next question was, I'd be interested in hearing from an expert of their thoughts on cyber school homeschooling and any advice for kiddos who suffer from sleep issues as to how to effectively get the kids to wake up. Yeah. I, I'm sitting. I want to know. Yeah. So this is a bigger issue than I don't think it has to do with cyber school or homeschooling. I think you're thinking about doing homeschooling because you probably can't get the child to get up in the morning and go to school. That's what this sounds like to me. So please uh, write in if you're online or let us know if I'm interpreting this correctly. But my impression on this is we got to deal with the bigger issue sometimes. What we end up doing is we will, you know, something will happen and we just will kind of give up and we'll find a different path. And that is not always the right thing to do. Here in this case, I don't know that you need to start thinking about different ways of educating the child just because he's not sleeping well. I think you need to deal with why isn't he sleeping well? Let's fix the sleep issue. And so the sleep issue is a very, very extremely important one. Like I cannot stress how the importance of this sleep thing enough. Like I just can't because uh, people forget, this is one of the things about autism, is that it's so um, overwhelming and it just overshadows everything else that's going on with our kids, with us, with anyone. And sleep is a, is a very, very vital part of 
every organism's functioning. So um, if you were to not sleep, uh, which I'm sure a lot of parents will be like, I don't sleep because yeah. <laughs> my child won't let yeah. me sleep. Your functioning just decreases, right? You just don't want it. You get depressed over time. You're not motivated. You don't want to go to work. Even when you're at work, you're barely making it. You're probably drinking a lot of uh, caffeinated drinks to just keep going. It's not good, right? So with our kids, it's sort of the same thing. They're like, if they're not getting quality sleep, we have to deal with that. So what, what are some of the things that you need to think about with regards to sleep? First of all, obviously you should do a functional assessment because you do want to figure out why the child is not sleeping. There are lots of different reasons that a child could be awake. One is like, did they, oh my gosh, there's so many reasons, I'm going to name just a few. So. Uh, the, the diet of the child has impact on the child's sleep. So if the child's getting a lot of sugar or dye or whatever, it could, for instance, have something to do with keep the child awake. Uh, the, uh, if their child is on any medications that could potentially be like hyperactivity medications, ADHD meds tend to really, really influence our sleep. So. Uh, food, uh, medication, and then of course we have other types of things going on with autism. Some of our kids have very, very significant yeast infections that could be interfering with their sleep. Um, so all, all that kind of biological, like things that have to do with biochemistry of the organism, the person. So all of that is one. The second area to look at is environmental factors. So like. There could be sensory things going on that you're not even aware of. For example, uh, the sprinklers turn on at 2 in the morning and uh, nobody else hears them, but your child has very sensitive hearing and he hears them. So there could be environmental sensory factors that you're not aware of, like the neighbor's dog wakes up at 4 in the morning, whatever it is that is waking your child up and interfering with sleep. There's also other types of biological factors such as your child could be having seizures that you're not aware of that could be waking him up in the middle of the night. So there's a whole bunch of stuff like you need to have a physician who is a specialist in sleep. Uh, I, I don't know where you live, but a lot of universities have sleep programs where they actually, your child will go in there and they'll do a 24-hour sleep EEG where they will actually put, uh, you know, uh, those receptors onto your child and actually see brainwave activity during sleep and figure out what is causing the child to wake up. The other aspect of it, of course, is it could be just a, a, something that is a learned behavior. For example, a lot of times when our kids wake up, um, when they're babies, what we tend to do is we'll go in there and give them a bottle, yeah. right? And a bottle is food, and food is one of the most significant reinforcers. It's a primary reinforcer. So what happens is the stomach actually becomes conditioned to wake up at that time. That's why it's really, really important when you wake up at night not to eat, because when you do eat, you will, I swear to you, try this yourself, wake up, if you wake up at two or three, you know, a lot of us at this age, yeah. at least we wake up to go to the bathroom, right? Yeah. If you eat something, I promise you, you will, it'll become a habit immediately, almost in two nights. From there on, you'll be waking up. So check those types of things. It, when the child wakes up, is there any source of reinforcement, whether it be food or perhaps the child comes to you and sleeps with you, that's a big reinforcer, or 
the child calls and you go to the child, that's a big reinforcer. So those types of things are learned behaviors that can be changed. So first I want you to check out the biological stuff, seizures being the most important, anything else that biologically could interfere with your child's sleep. Secondly, I want you to check out things like dietary and, and any other uh, type of you know, food or stimulant. Third, I want you to look at the environment and make sure it is quiet and dark. Darkness is very important. Darkness is how we produce melatonin. If there's light in the room at night, you're, we're not producing melatonin, which we, our body needs to sleep. And then when you've done all that, you need to really look at learned behaviors. And are you, uh, without being aware of it, rewarding your child uh, when they wake up somehow? And, all, and that portion, of course, of BCBA can help you. I'm pretty sure there's got to be some training on this in the IBT uh, website about sleep. Uh, we have lots and lots of uh, ways to reduce this waking up activity. So now I've kind of like talked a lot about sleep. Hopefully that's the issue here and not yeah. just homeschooling. Absolutely. Otherwise, if it isn't, let me just say I have nothing against homeschooling. I think homeschooling is totally fine as long as the child has social environments uh, and opportunities as well. There we go. Uh, uh, I love this question that came in on YouTube. Why is ABA so expensive? Insurance will not pay for it. Uh, if they do, it's not much. Cannot get Medicaid because of income cutoffs. So how can you get the help you need if the cost is eighty-five to $95,000? Right. And of course, I have a lot to say about that. What do you want to say? Insurance does pay for it. That's <laughs> the first thing I'll say. Uh, so yes, it's very expensive because every hour uh, is provided by a trained individual. So um, yes, it's, it adds up. I, I'm not sure that it adds up to 85, but it adds up because every hour of therapy costs a lot. Um, having said that, there is insurance coverage. So I'm not sure where you live. But there's, uh, we have insurance coverage in all, pretty much the it's entire 50 United States. states. 50 yeah. states. Yeah. Not all the same, but 50 states 50 have states coverage. 50 states have coverage. So let us know where you are, and we can help you gain access to that coverage. And, and I also want to say, and I, the first year that my son was at CARD and got his 40-hour program, we were funded, this is before insurance, yes. we were funded by the state of California, but they sent you a bill later on that you didn't have to pay, but they just were like, we want you to know how much what we spent we paid. on you. $120,000 the first year. So just saying, but that year made the difference of, that set us on the path, it didn't finish it, but it set yeah. us on the path to be in the best possible place. So, right. so we, like the number gets scary and you feel that, and then you just go, what we did was we looked around and we were like, we can't afford this, so what are other people doing? Yep. And I would walk up to people and say, how are you paying? I like go to an autism thing and go, how are you paying for it? Yeah. And people would show us. I guarantee you there are hundreds of thousands of parents that are finding the way right now in every single state that there is. And sometimes you got to piece it together, but there's a way. So tell us which state that you're in. Um, and also know that the Medicaid thing, depending on where you are, most of the time now parents will have to apply for Medicaid and they apply and they get refused because of their income. Then you reapply under disability and your child will get Medicaid because your child has autism. So they are eligible, but they yes. ask you to, they make you jump through the first hoop 
and then you jump through the second hoop. But Medicaid um, in all states is not equal and even. Well, uh, it hasn't rolled out in all states. So like, we don't even have Medicaid in New York yet. Like it hasn't rolled out in all states. But yes, but it is there. The other thing I want to say, Shannon, yeah. is that you know we talk about insurance will cover it, but insurance will cover it up to a certain portion. And yeah. that you are right in the sense that if you have an older child, if your child has already received a couple of years of ABA, it is it is harder to get insurance to cover it. And that, I mean, I, I don't know that there's any kind of solution for that. But what I do want to say is that it's sort of a, it, it, maybe it helps parents realize the value of doing really intensive ABA for a few years. Because more and more, and Shannon, you and I have been talking about this for years, when insurance coverage started, I predicted that we would get to a point, and we have unfortunately come to that point, where it is really difficult to get ongoing funding. So when you do get funding from an insurance company, please use it. Oh please gosh. don't waste it. Please don't cancel sessions because you will have it for a very kind of limited period of time. That is your child's window of opportunity. And when you have it for, let's say, two to three years, and let me, I promise you, it will get less. Right now, we are probably looking at, like, most payers with a really strong recommendation from your BCBA will, and if, as long as your child is, like, younger than six or eight, will give you three to four years of not intensive, but like you'll probably be able to get like two years of 40 hours a week, followed by maybe one to two years of 15 to 20 hours a week, which is a really good amount, but that amount is going to decrease. So really, like if you are a parent with a child right now getting this therapy, please, it, do it. Make sure yeah. your child benefits from it. It's a use it or lose it situation. It's a use it or lose it gold that expires after a while. Absolutely. I can really think about that. Absolutely. But I also want to say um, to that the other person, um, we're finding parents in different places that are finding different programs. Even if you, uh, we've had parents who held a fundraiser to be able to get the insurance and then right. got grants for the copay. That's right. People are finding the way. You, you won't be inventing a wheel. Yeah. Reach out to us. Tell us where you are, and I'll, I'll see what I can do to find out who's making it work where you are and what they're doing. And we can right. work together to make it happen. Where there's a will, there's a way. I, I learned that a long time ago. And listen, if I could figure it out, then you for sure can figure it out. Absolutely. And I'll work with you to figure it out, right? So write in. you can write in to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. Let's take a short break. And then um, I want to take a question from uh, uh, a dad who says that they're emigrating from Egypt to Florida um, and um, want, want some info from you. So uh, stick with us. We're going to be right back after these messages.
Welcome back to Autism Live. I am here with Dr. Doreen for a segment we call Ask Dr. Doreen. It's Dr. Doreen <laughs> Grand Pichet that I'm here with. Uh, yes, the, I'm not the sharp, sharpest knife you? in the drawer. Where were you right now? You know what? You know where I was? You said something and I had an idea and it like... Oh, will like, you please write it down? Because yeah, I no, need ideas uh, on that. Uh, no, I know. I totally... Uh, I, no, that's exactly where I was. Um, okay. So now I'm here. I'm here with you, all of you right now. Okay. So so um, we've, we've been taking live questions for Dr. Grampy and we had uh, something come in on YouTube, a dad who said, I, I need to ask Dr. Doreen, we're a family with a seven-year-old autistic boy emigrating from Egypt to Florida. Mm -hmm. As a father, I'm communicating with one of the autism centers in Tampa, but unfortunately we were informed that my son has to be on a waiting list for almost one year. Please advise, how can we avoid that? We do not want to waste my son's time staying at home. Yeah. So I don't know if I don't know what's in Tampa. We are not in Tampa. Uh, I don't know if there's another center in Tampa, but you know, I, I, I think you just need to. And I don't also don't know how good the funding is in Florida right now. I mean, I know there's funding, but I'm not sure how good it is. What we hear mm -hmm. uh, as parents is that supposedly Medicaid is in place, but they've made it so difficult that no provider can actually qualify. Yeah. So it's this catch-22 that Florida says, oh, no, we made it available, but they oh, didn't. Oh, yeah. Gosh, they, I remember. They made, it, they made it so hard that, you know, and, and that there are a couple of providers and this is just what I hear. I'm not necessarily, I agree with this, but I, I hear that there are a couple of providers that are not doing a great job and are getting paid so little that they are not having quality people there and, and, and the people are leaving because they're getting paid so little and this That's is a right. hard job. That's right. So, um, I, I think I, the one organization that is, is there is Butterfly Effects, if I'm not wrong. I really don't know much about that, but uh, what I will say is, if you have the option to move someplace else, you should probably first find uh, a location that has really good funding and a really good provider, an organization that can provide good ABA for your child. I think that becomes primary. But if you don't have a choice, then obviously you should be researching what your options are in Tampa right now. And there is funding. Uh, there's commercial insurance as well in Florida, and I just don't know, because we're not in Tampa, I don't know enough about that. Well, and I will say that um, we keep hearing about waiting lists across the country. Um, so before you go to some place that has a lot of providers, Call. check their waiting yes, list too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but um, for the parents that are on the waiting list, waiting a, waiting a year is not tenable, right? Like it's just not something, That's right. That's early right. intervention is the key, we all know that. I know it's the seventh ring of you know where for parents who hear early intervention is important, but now you stand in line for two years to get the diagnosis and then you stand in line to get started with a, a reputable ABA company, right? Right, and, and now you've lost three years, which was the window of time that we most, you know, That's exactly wanted to right. get in there. Right. So it, it isn't, you got to come up with something else. That's right. Um, whether it's that you put together a program yourself, which is really hard, but there are tools to do that. Yes. You could use skills for autism.com. You could use the Institute for Behavioral Training. You yourself can take classes and become online classes and become an RBT so that you know what you're doing. You could train other people. Whatever you have to do, you don't want to let the year go that's by. That's right. I think that's very, very important.
All right. Uh, so I, I don't like that answer. I know. I mean, we but can't. It's, it's like, it is what it is. We could help maybe do some research for you on Tampa, but I just don't know what's available there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another person has written in on Facebook and said, what can I say to parents who have a big issue with ABA, saying that the older autistic community detests it and have found it to be abusive? I don't agree with this at all. I'm an RBT, which is a registered behavior technician and a mom uh, of an 11-year-old with autism. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's it's almost, we're, we're gearing up for April, and this will go in yeah, April. Because right. there will be lots of articles that say that ABA is abusive and that adults on the spectrum say it's terrible and that parents should not do it. That's amazing to me. So um, first thing is from someone who's been doing ABA for 40 years, ABA has changed a lot. I mean, there was a time back in the 60s, I want to say, and early 70s, where uh, aversives were used as part of ABA. And I will, like, there was an article with Lovos, actually, back in, I, I want to say, the early 60s. Uh, it was kind of in Life magazine. And it had to do with the use of uh, electric shock. Uh, to kind of get children who were uh, self-injurious to stop self-injuring. Um, so it, there used to be a lot of uh, you know, types of interventions as part of ABA that are no longer allowed, even legal, present, like they just don't exist. There is, there's one or two sites still in the whole country, the, the Judge Ruttenberg Center. There are places where they do still use aversives. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have to say that in 99.9% .9 of programs, you're not going to have any use of negative punishment or anything that's aversive in any way. So. That, that stigma of that it's like abusive is gone. Like it just is not. So that's that. Now, if you are a parent where you feel that any kind of demand or contingency is not what you want for your child, then ABA is not for you. Um, what ABA is very, very in, you know, sort of basic general terms is that you, uh, you identify a whole ton of stuff that the child needs to learn that they've not learned for whatever reason. And the way that you teach all those things is you give an instruction, you model or prompt or help the child however you can. The child uh, does the, follows through on the instruction and you reward it. When the child doesn't follow through on the instruction, you modify the instruction, you give a little bit more help, you modify the, the environment, but you give rewards. So ABA is very, very based on the giving and withholding of rewards. That's about as abusive as it gets. So, but now when a child is, you have to understand that if a child is doing something that you don't want, if they're exhibiting a behavior that you don't want, you withhold the, re the, the reward. So that means you could very likely have a child who's two years old and screaming and crying, or three years old, or five years old, whatever, screaming and crying because they want something and you don't give it to them because they're screaming and crying. If you consider that to be abusive, then you're right, ABA is not for you. 
Um, but there, other than that, like the, the holding off of rewarding, challenging behavior, there's nothing at all abusive about ABA. And it is very structured. It, it is demanding. The reason it's demanding is that uh, you know, you have to, it's more effective the younger the child because our, our brains are very malleable to change between the age of two and seven. So it's really important that ABA, all the intensity of ABA occur around that age. So we are working with very young children and what we're trying to do is to get them to learn a large amount of stuff. So there's a lot of demand placed on young children, but like even with a two-year-old or a three-year-old who's getting what we call a 40-hour program, there's tons of breaks and games and rewarding activities in throughout the whole thing. So if you're doing a, a, a really good ABA program, it is a fun, fun activity. It might be a little difficult in the beginning for your child, please. The, I don't want to mislead people. Kids are not always happy in the beginning, but once they understand the contingencies, it becomes fun and it, bec it should become fun and it should become the level of demand is balanced out by the level of reward. And if, if the child doesn't enjoy it, that means there's not enough reward or too much demand. And when you balance those things together, the child generally thrives, thrives. So, you know, it, it has changed a lot. Uh, we look at the functions of behaviors. That's something that has only really come about in the last, let's say, 10 or 15, 15 years. So it, it, it's improved a lot. It's really we're starting to get a lot more understanding of how we work with kids. Um, you know, those are, the, I guess, the things that you... And, and then, of course, if you want to show your family or try to get your family to understand how effective it is, how good it is, I would really recommend that you look at certain films. Like we made a film years ago called Recovered. Um, you can access that film on Amazon. And I would order that, that DVD and I would um, um, show it to, to your family because they need to understand that the value of all of this intensive teaching is, is great. It's lifelong value. It's amazing. It's miraculous. I, I want to say that I was a parent who was told by my developmental pediatrician who diagnosed my son, she said, don't do ABA. Yeah. Uh, um, they'll turn him into a robot and they'll torture him to get him to speak. And, oh. I, and I listened to her for um, six months. And when I could have been in early intervention and, and I had people all around me saying, reconsider, reconsider. And I was like, mm -mm, no, because they're not going to torture my child. Yeah. I don't, if you have met me, I mean, if you spend any time on the show, you know that I am a mama bear and like nobody's going to yeah. hurt my child while I stand by. Right. Like that is just not. And I, and I am that mother who is way helicopter. Yeah. Forget it. I'm like the armor suit on him. Right. Um, so. But I met a family mm -hmm. who showed me what their kiddo was doing, and they said, no, 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 like, these people are the most amazing people on the face of the earth, and CARD is this place where miracles happen, mm -hmm. right? So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this, I'm going to do this, and I met more and more families that, whose kids were doing really well, and that's why I came to CARD. Here's my philosophy about this now. I am so proud that I have so many friends who are adults who are on the autism spectrum, and they don't like ABA. Right. Um, and, and it's either because they had it and they experienced something negative, 
or because they had a friend who did, and so they believe that friend, or there was somebody who had a frustrating experience with ABA, and so they stopped. Yep. So here's the deal. I always say to people, I will never take away somebody's right to tell their story. Right. Tell your story. I, you know, you have a right to your story, and if that happened to you, I am never going to say, uh-uh. But I'm going to tell the part of the story where I tell people that now there's a governing board. Yep. I mean, you know, the people that you're working with, the board-certified behavior analysts, they are held to strict, strict rules um, and they are not allowed to do those aversive things that Dr. Grampuche was mentioning happened all that long. So, you know, while that might have happened to someone who's in their 30s, it right. was not happening to anybody right now if they are a licensed uh, ABA provider and have board certified behavior analysts and you can check to make sure that your people are board certified but they they would lose their license if that's they did right. anything that's like right. that that's so it's right. important to know that but the other side because then parents start doing ABA and in the beginning their child might be frustrated or um, you know and crying and tantruming and right. behavior might get a little bit worse before it gets better that's all sort of typical and what somebody said to me was look and my son recently had said to me, frustration never killed anybody, right? But when our kids start to walk, they trip and they fall and they hit their head and they, you know, hit their head on the coffee table and now they're bleeding and they're crying and whatever. And we don't go, you know what, this is too hard. Let's stop. Yeah. Let's not upset the child. Forget right. it. Wheel in the wheelchair. We're not walking. Right. We don't right. do that because we know. It's a great example. They're going to get through this period of time and when they do, it's going to be worth That's right. That's and I'm right. telling you that that frustration that your kiddo might be feeling in the beginning, it goes away very quickly. Absolutely. I had the happiest little camper who is the happiest teenager who has his whole life in front of him and can make the choices that he needs to make because we allowed for him Look, he, they are going to get frustrated. Yeah. They are absolutely going to get frustrated because their way of doing things is I scream, yell, throw things, bite you, and I get my way. Right. And the reason why we don't want that is because that's not working for them and it's that's not right. working for you. Right. So we have to allow them to be frustrated with exactly. the fact that it's not working this way anymore. Anybody would be frustrated. But it's, it's amazing that moment when they get it and they go, oh, you mean I can just point to this picture and I can get what I want instead of throwing myself on the floor and biting you. And you see that moment where they go, oh, this is so much easier. Exactly. And they become happier. Exactly. So I'm always trying to explain that to parents and say, and I had two, I think I've already talked about this on the show, two people last week, the one mom who wrote in to me that her child had started with card and like it was so hard and he was so frustrated. Oh he gosh. was throwing up. Ugh. Because he was so frustrated, and she was like, "We're not going to do this full program. We're, when I don't know that we're going to do this anymore." And you know, and I, I said, "Don't give up, don't give up." And she wrote to me, and she said, thank "You know, you. he's, he's, thank you." She was like, "Oh my gosh, she's on track to be a kid that this isn't, isn't going to be a lifelong thing for him." Yes. And she was like, "Thank you for not letting me miss out on this." That's other like thing. the most important thing, right? Is not giving up during when it gets really tough. Yeah. And the other, the other mom who watches the show frequently and she knows who I'm talking about, but um, that her her little finally uh, revved up to a 40-hour program because they had been at 30, and she wrote to me and said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the difference that that 10 hours is really? making, that he's sleeping better, oh that our gosh. family time is better, that he's learning exponential. And oh. I'm always trying to explain to a parent because a parent will say, well, I don't see what the difference between 17 hours and 27 hours is. And I'm like, really? 
because it's compound interest. If you understand compound interest, uh. like because it isn't just 10 hours, it's 10 hours this week where you learn this much more. Yep. So you go into the next week with this much more knowledge. Now you add 10 more. So now you're like this going into the third week. By the fourth week, it's amazing. It's so funny that I had not even thought about the fact that it could also just help improve sleep. <gasps> you know? I, I because love that you said that. Yes, I know. And it's, it's so incredible. I mean, and, and this is the kind of stuff that just concerns me and worries me because honestly, as time goes by, I see how, uh, you know, there used to be a time, Shannon, when I opened card. And I would, every child that came in was a young child and I would be giving them 40 hours. That was the program. And as time went on, it was like, okay, older kids are coming in. We can't say no, but it's not appropriate for them to do 40 hours. Maybe we'll do a little bit less and so on. And now it's just so difficult to get people to do the full regimen. Uh, first of all, as I said, funding is limited. Yeah. And secondly, uh, people are not committed to it. People yeah. are just not committed to it. And it is, it's the prescription. Exactly. It's just, it's... Exa that's exactly the word I always use with parents. Find out what your full prescription is. And that's the number that the person who diagnosed said, this is what this person needs. And then do that. Your insurance will pay the full prescription for at least that first year. So you're crazy to turn it down. Absolutely. And every child is different prescription, right? Absolutely. But and that's my other issue is that most of the time, first of all, the person who prescribes is not going to be your VCBA. They're different people. And so the people who prescribe are psychologists and they know nothing about ABA. Mm. So the people who prescribe or diagnose are not going to know. Your BCBA is also not necessarily going to prescribe a full program because they're just not from, they, they've not experienced recovery. There are so many young BCBAs in the world that they don't know necessarily what the difference is between 25 and 40 hours. And so that is something that I'm like sort of committed to trying to teach our folks as well. It's like, you know, if you do have a young child, uh, and by young, I mean, you know, starting before the age of six, please give the child an opportunity to have a 40-hour program, even if it's just for six months. It's I, so important. I always say I want to light my hair on fire and run down the street, and maybe I'm going to have to do that to draw attention to it. Because, <laughs> I, so, you know, for me as a parent who came in in a moment of time when there was no funding uh, other oh, than yes, where oh, I yes. lived. Oh, yes. Right? And, and I lucked out. And, man, I know how lucky I am, and I am grateful every day and trying to give back, right? Um, but we fought so hard, and I did not think in my lifetime we would have insurance. Right. And then we got insurance, and what's happened is that it's a whole lot more people talking to the parent going, you don't need that. Yeah. You no, know, you know, 12 hours is right. enough. Like, right. don't. And parents are saying no, not even knowing what they're missing out right. of. Right. Because it seems unreasonable. I do recall it's true. the parent saying to me, you know, somebody said to me, oh, well, you know, a 40-hour program uh, with a three-year-old has found, found to be wildly effective. And I was like, 40 hours? He's three. That's crazy. That's a full-time job. I know. I don't, and I then know. the parent was like, I know. I know, I know, I know. But it works. So just yep. do it anyway. Yep. Yep. Like, and, you know, and I'm here to tell the tale. Yeah, it works. Yep. 
we, we had the meeting yesterday with his college counselor about which colleges we're applying to. Don't tell me. Oh, I know. <laughs> it works. It oh works. So do it. Okay. So uh, Missy has written in on YouTube and says, can ABA help to reduce aggressive behavior like hitting, kicking, biting, scratching, etc., in an older child who is 8, 9, or 10 years old, and how do they change this behavior? Um, yes, Missy. So uh, first of all, that's uh, it's funny that your name is Missy. There's, you're the second Missy I've ever met. The first Missy would be Dr. Missy Olive, who is, was, is a wonderful behavior analyst, and she actually is really, really good with uh, older kids and adults. So you can find her, maybe get in touch with Missy Olive. But um, the, yes, ABA is focused on two things. One is teaching new skills and one is reducing challenging behaviors. And so uh, the way that we do that is different based on the function of the behavior. What that means is every behavior has a reason uh, why it occurs. And that's the function. And once you identify the reason why that behavior occurs, you, re you are able to replace that behavior with a much more better, more appropriate type of behavior. For example, uh, a child will generally not hit just do because hitting is something pleasurable. They will hit because either they want to get attention for it, or they're trying to escape a situation, or they're trying to gain access to a tangible object. Those are examples of functions. If I am a child and I'm hitting you because I want to get something from you, then the way that ABA would reduce the hitting or eliminate the hitting is to make sure that when you hit, you do not get the object, but we would then teach you to ask, and then you get the object. And so over time, the child learns hitting is ineffective, asking is effective. That's a very like basic example of how ABA deals with all of these behaviors. Every uh, dysfunctional challenging behavior that you listed there, Missy, has a reason. I always talk about challenging behaviors. They are a type of communication from our kids. Our children are trying to say something by hitting by biting, by throwing. They're trying to say something. They're trying to say, I want more of something or I don't want something. And that's really important to understand. And through ABA, we have this thing called a functional assessment that your supervisor first conducts. And through that, they learn why each behavior occurs. And then we modify environmental things and we get rid of those behaviors and we teach appropriate behaviors. And let me say, people often think that ABA has to do with very young children. There are thousands and thousands of articles published on how ABA works to reduce challenging behavior in adults. Many more publications having to do with challenging behavior in adults than recovery of young children or effectiveness with young children. Everybody knows about EIBI, Early Intensive Behavior Intervention. Just because it's miraculous, you know, you teach, like as Shannon was saying, it's just you take a child with very little skill and you teach them everything they need to function as a normal adult. But with the adults who have these sort of ingrained challenging behaviors, 
ABA is incredibly effective. It's unbelievable. And I'm talking about sometimes you just working with adults, like one of the very rewarding things for me was adults I knew who were so aggressive that they would, for instance, out of frustration, uh, literally put their head through glass, you know? And that is like such a horrifying thing for everyone, everyone. Yeah. And if you can teach an adult to not do that and instead to type on a keyboard something they want yeah. when they're frustrated, that is the most rewarding thing. And that's what ABA does. That is the power of ABA. Absolutely. Uh, so we don't have time to fully answer this question, I know, because we've got about three minutes here. Amelia has written in on YouTube and says, what are the ways to increase speech for kids with autism? Well, yeah, that's the time. I mean, three minutes. Yeah, and so <laughs> everything, everything that we teach, uh, you know, the the vast majority of skills. Like uh, when you look at our our website, skills for autism, you'll see that there's a whole section called language. It's it's more than just speech. It's a lot of lessons. The vast majority of our lessons are honestly that that's our biggest curriculum is the language curriculum. So. And it's too complicated, as Shannon said, but we take children who are nonverbal and we reward them producing just sound. And then we shape those sounds into words and we reward that. And then we teach the child to use those words functionally to request items. That's called manding. And then we reward that. And then we teach the child to expand on the words and form sentences using descriptors and adjectives and all that sort of stuff. And then that's rewarded. And then we teach the child to use those sentences to describe their environment. And that's rewarded. And to ask for things and to, you know, and it just goes on and on and on. And all of these lessons sort of build on top of each other to produce communication and then social communication and then kind of we teach the child how, how and verbal communication can be valuable to them. So it's a, it's a lot of like small lessons that are built on top of each other to produce speech and language. And it takes a lot of hours and a lot of years. And, and that's how ABA use, is used to teach speech. And there's a, a lot of videos on this subject. So I really recommend that you go on Autism Live. We'll have tons of videos there. Yeah. Uh, but also online and just ask that question and say, you know, ABA to teach language. You'll get tons of videos on Absolutely. YouTube so you can see. I mean, the, the you know, we used to have some films that would show the exact day-to-day -day video yeah. uh, of that. I don't know what else we have that... Is out there. Uh, we've got some. We've got a bunch of different experts talking about growing language and and doing that. Um, and we'll and we'll plan a segment for that as well. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, we talk about this a lot when we're talking about the toys. Yeah. Of about the, you know showing how you use bubbles, for instance, Absolutely. to get to a child to produce the sound of buh. Yeah. And then how you shape that into bubble. We talk about that with right. lots of the different toys. So. I mean, a lot of the initial portion of speech has to do with manding, which is requesting. Yeah. And because there's motivation, when the child is motivated to request juice, they yes. will try to say ooh or do or something. And yeah. that's the beginning of speech. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so we are totally out of time. We want to thank you for being Such here with pleasure. us. I want to remind everybody that on tomorrow's show, we have Larry Hauser from Fullerton Cares coming in for the first time. He's bringing his mom. She's the woman behind all the magic. Uh, Fullerton Cares is getting ready to have their Mardi Gras for autism that's happening on April 4th. I love that event. And so Larry's going to be here with us tomorrow. Then on 
Friday, Karen Nolte is going to be here with us talking about new research that is so exciting. So for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, Karen Nolte will be here on Friday. Don't forget that tomorrow night at 5.30 Eastern Time, no, 5.30 uh, Pacific Time, 8.30 Eastern Time, we, Autism Live, will be at Freeform Studios' live tweet event for Everything's Gonna Be Okay, that wonderful hit show on Freeform. We're gonna be there with a lot of autism luminaries and stars with the cast of Everything's Gonna Be Okay. Wonderful show yes. that has a, has a character with autism being played by a young woman with autism. So uh, it's uh, let me tell you, it's it's controversial. This show, it is it is like woo, fasten yourself in on the seatbelt. This is not your light, fluffy uh, Disney stuff, although it's being done by Disney Freeform. So uh, make sure that you check it out tomorrow night during the live East Coast feed of the show we will be tweeting with the cast and so be watching our facebook to see pictures of us with the cast and and watch the show we're gonna be back tomorrow until then give yourselves a hug from me and for your kiddos as well bye bye for now